Hi, those Happy Places listeners. Before we get to the episode, we wanted to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to podvoices.help. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Welcome back to Theme Parks 100, a summer school series all about the basics of theme parks from your friends at Those Happy Places. Class is now in session. I'm Alice White. And I'm Buddy Duquesne. Buddy, this is class number 102, and we're talking all about attractions today. Yeah, the the question that we set out to answer by the end of this episode is, what is an attraction? And then why are attractions such an important thing? worth treating like literature because as you know those happy places is the podcast that treats theme parks rides and attractions like literature right um but you know why attractions in the first place um how do attractions relate to theme parks um what makes an attraction an attraction and then finally why treat an attraction like the literature that we treat it as so this is an extremely important concept that once again, uh, realizing years into those happy places that we just never stopped to consider aloud on the podcast. Absolutely. We use the word attraction all the time. We use the word attraction when talking about rides, but also when talking about things that aren't rides in, in theme parks. And it's the, the reason why the words rides and attraction are separate in our little log line, theme parks, rides and attractions, is that an attraction is not necessarily a ride. When you think of a theme park, you might be thinking of a park that's full of things to ride on. But if you want a better uh, exploration into what theme parks are, you should go back a lesson and listen to uh, <laughs> <laughs> listen to 101 all about theme parks. But today we're talking about attractions. So buddy, what's an attraction? That's a good question. Uh, a ride is an attraction. An attraction isn't a ride <laughs> uh, necessarily. Uh, okay. so, so once again, we are doing a Venn diagram where one of the circles is a circle in the circle, <laughs> if that makes any sense. I know that makes great audio. Um, Super good audio. But an attraction is, at its most basic level, uh, and in our, you know, our wind-up to this episode, in our conversations about this, an attraction, we decided, is anything that draws people to that thing. Um, usually for the purposes of delight and entertainment. Um, though that hasn't always historically been the case, and that is part of the conversation we'll have the end of this episode but for the sake of setting a baseline here an attraction is something that you are drawn to to be delighted surprised or otherwise entertained by sure uh could we even say that an, attra an attraction is something that 
attracts people to it. I would never say that uh, <laughs> because that would mean that magnets would be attractions. Um, okay, so so then we're speaking more specifically, not just something that attracts people to it, but rather something that draws somebody in for the purposes of entertainment. So when we're talking about theme parks and we're talking about attractions as part of theme parks, we're talking about something that draws the attention, that draws the eye, that draws um, a person to it for an experience. Yeah, I, I mean, I was being a little goofy back there where I said I would never say that an attraction is simply something that attracts people. All sorts mm -hmm. of things attract people without being expressly for the purpose of entertainment uh there are things that attract people because they need that thing um you know things like public resources um or events that are not meant to be fun but that are a necessity uh there are all sorts of things that gather people together that are not attractions uh and there are all sorts of buildings and places that draw people together that i would not qualify as attractions. There are even some that kind of ride the line between attractions and not attractions. Uh, I'm thinking of something like uh, the Notre Dame Cathedral in France. Have you heard of this place? Uh, yes, I'm, I am familiar. <laughs> kind of famous. Uh, big famous church, uh, you know, there in the middle of Paris. Uh, greatly historical. Uh, you know, a, uh, a landmark, a cultural heritage site, you know, kind of a big deal. Right. Many people use Notre Dame Cathedral to be a place of worship. And I think it would be disrespectful to say that that is them interacting with it as an attraction. Right. It right. can be it can be both. It can act as an attraction, a tourist attraction, if you will, um, and also act as a place where people gather for worship or, or for other church events. It, yeah. is, it is an active uh, church uh, yeah, where it, mass is held regularly. And it, it does function both ways at the same time. Like, mm -hmm. you can be on a tour during services and masses. Oh, yeah, you I did that You can be walking once. around through the back while people are engaged in the act of worship, right? So in that way, it would be an attraction. It was something that drew you, that you wanted to be surprised, delighted, otherwise entertained, informed by. Uh, it's big and beautiful. So there is also, uh, you know, a there's a, a an element of scale. Uh, and an element of, you know, majesty and wonder to all of it as well. Uh, so there's like multiple layers going on here. So I think that Notre Dame, the uh, attraction exists as well as Notre Dame, the uh, house of worship that would not be considered an attraction. And those are both valid uses of the same space, I think. Yeah, I think that's a very important distinction to make. And so what we're talking about, though... Uh, is the version of the word attraction, the the definition of attraction as it uh, relates to theme parks. So we are talking about attractions uh, within theme parks or or attractions that could maybe on their own be considered like a theme park. Yeah. I'm thinking of like roadside attractions. 
Exactly. Uh, we've covered a couple of roadside attractions on this podcast. Uh, things that are meant to attract visitors by their nature, either because people already know about them and they're famous uh, and there is a promise of surprise or delight or intrigue um, or, you know, just some kind of outside of the ordinary experience or that draw people in because of the intrigue of the mystery. Perhaps most infamously on this show, we went to the mystery spot in the Santa Cruz mountains to find out what the mystery spot was more than anything else. Right. We had seen the bumper stickers. We had seen the advertisements. We had heard about the mystery spot, but we didn't know what to expect. And so the bumper stickers and the word of mouth and the advertisements and everything attracted us in to see this great mystery and what is the mystery of the mystery spot. And we had a great time. We yeah. recorded an episode about it. I believe it's available on our Patreon. Yeah. Uh, and not too long ago, I finally got to the Winchester Mystery House, which is a similarly infamous uh, sort of attraction. Um, and the Winchester Mystery House is definitely its own thing and deserves its own episode. And we'll get there eventually. But again, why was I there? Mostly to find out what the deal was. Like, people talk about it. It's a famous attraction. It's been around for a while. There's an element of scale. Hey, that seems to be a recurring theme. Um, but there's also the intrigue. Like, what will this be? There was also a level of uh, informing that was going on. Because a lot of attractions, uh, they're kind of trivial, for lack of a better word. Like, they have trivia about them. Um, and so there's a kind of collecting aspect to that trivia uh, to tell people, like, did you know that the Winchester Mystery House has over 100 doors that lead to nothing or something like that? I, I forget the actual numbers. <laughs> um, and so there's kind of also that, like, that finding out, that discovery that is meant to draw you in. Now, Alice, let's do a hypothetical. Let's say you're driving on a long and lonesome highway in uh, the western United States somewhere, uh, a, the sort of highway that you might be very familiar with, mm -hmm. uh, and you see a sign that says, 25 miles, world's largest ball of yarn. <laughs> we agree that that is, at its core, one of the most, like, like primeval attraction types <laughs> in the United States, right? Right. It is it absolutely a, a total classic. World's largest blank. World's largest thermometer, I think, you pass on your way from L.A. to Vegas. That's um, true, yeah, out in uh, Death Valley, California. And A place that is so hot they called it Death Valley. <laughs> um, something like that. World's largest blank as like a, a roadside attraction in the United States is an absolute classic. Um, hypothetically, I'm driving down this road. I've got time. I'm going to the world's largest ball of yarn. Absolutely. Yeah. Every it, time. It uh, will absolutely pull me in. It will attract me to to it. <laughs> uh, and I agree with you. Uh, the, I never asked you the hypothetical question. I'm glad you got there. Yes. Would you go to the world's yes. largest ball of yarn? I knew, I knew where you were going. Yes, and of course so, like, I would go. <laughs> what are the reasons for the world's largest ball of yarn? Like, why why do that as a, as a visitor? But then also, like, 
as a society, why do a world's largest ball of yarn? I mean, the, I think the answer is pretty simple. Uh, I think the answer is entertainment. What, like, why not? Uh, the, why not look at something that's uh, set a world record? Why not be entertained by viewing a a huge ball of yarn, even if it ends up being, you know, not as not as exciting as you as you want it to be? It's not a thrill ride. It's not, and it's not a theme park. It is an attraction, and t- to do something like that to pull people in to say hey come look at this thing i made come uh come see this you know great accomplishment of art that we've that we've had fun putting together i think it's like a really basic human experience almost just to to say look at what we've done maybe even pay pay me to come look at what i've done <laughs> um it's it seems really universal yeah um, and I think it's truly just uh, other than, you know, there is the pay me and come see what I've done is uh, pretty universal. Also, but yeah, you <laughs> want to get paid for the work you've put in. Right. Um, yeah. But I think at its core, it's about entertaining people. Yeah, there's not probably not a ton of money to be made in making the world's largest ball of yarn and putting it in the surprised. middle in the middle of a highway somewhere. Yeah. Not, I mean, yeah, money. Sure. But like <laughs> good, like good money. Like I, I don't think that's the number one draw. I think it's about providing entertainment to people and doing something fun. Yeah, I agree. And I think if given the choice between a an ordinary rest stop and a rest stop that includes a superlative like the world's largest blank, whatever it may <laughs> be, I would rather take a picture in front of the world's largest blank or get a postcard from the world's largest blank or a t-shirt that shows a picture of the world's largest blank, whatever that blank may be, right? <laughs> yep. And and so capitalism is partially the answer. I will agree with you. But you started to get to something that I, I want to highlight. Uh, and that is, and I used the word primeval earlier, but yeah, like primevally human. Like, check this out. Like, isn't this interesting? Can't you tell a story about when you saw this? Wouldn't you like to see this and tell other people about it and then maybe they come and see this and don't you wish you made something like this isn't this thing that i made worthwhile isn't it great uh, aren't we all great we're humans uh <laughs> it's it's very it feels very very like locked in to our nature as a species to want to show each other cool stuff um and i think that's that's a very like human forward way of thinking as well uh reminds me of that uh that writing exercise where um you write sci-fi but humans are utterly terrifying to everybody but like in a cool way like (laughs) we drink alcohol and we know that it's dangerous to us but we just think it's fun and other aliens are just like totally upset by that <laughs> like they sit around making balls of yarn they're insane from earth <laughs> they just do that for no reason <laughs> it's, it stuff. serves no true purpose but to make people laugh or yeah. gasp or take a selfie <laughs> there's no yeah there's no purpose there's no like biological need for the world's largest ball of yarn but why not right yeah 
and, and I think so there's there's that there's this like human level like we want to show each other cool stuff and showcasing that stuff is an industry probably as old as time itself uh, but it is an industry uh, and so what is the relationship between attractions and theme parks uh, and I think we need to kind of start building from our hypothetical ball of yarn so <laughs> you're still driving on this highway right right and you saw the sign that says 25 miles world's largest ball of yarn a mile later you see a sign that says 25 miles or 24 miles because you've gone a mile 24 miles the world's largest ball of yarn and the world's largest ox we have it we we (laughs) did it guys we made the world's largest ox it's also here now you're definitely stopping, right? Like, wait, they bred a giant ox <laughs> what is here this? in the middle of the, the, the American Bunyan? West. This is a Paul Bunyan. It is a Paul Bunyan reference. I got Paul Bunyan on the brain because speaking of roadside attractions, a friend of mine was just in the Midwest and he went and saw the world's largest statue of Paul Bunyan <laughs> and his blue his blue ox babe. Of so, course. like, I just think that's very cool. OK, so <laughs> uh, I'm jealous is what I'm saying. So they've got the world's largest ox here. Let's say you try you drive another mile and it says 23 miles. World's largest ball of yarn, world's largest ox, and a tree that is 500 years old. Oh, yeah, definitely yeah. stopping. Now, stop 20, it. You, 22 you... miles featuring a restaurant. Oh my god. <laughs> 21 miles uh and a gas station. Oh, well I, I need gas. That's just practical. That's just 20 practical. miles. Uh, live music doesn't... every Friday night. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, it's Friday. It's Friday right now. Let's 19 go. Nineteen miles. Firework Fridays. <laughs> Fridays are really the the time to go to this place, this magical place. <laughs> it's a Friday, so we're just trying to we're trying to layer on here. <laughs> uh, and and then finally, you're like 15 miles away, and it's like, oh yeah, we got like five roller coasters. What? You know, you should have led with that. <laughs> That's why I want to go. The ball of yarn wouldn't have gotten you, but the five roller coasters. No, the ball of yarn definitely definitely would have. If if I okay, if I <laughs> if I was driving and I just had time uh, to spare, uh, yeah, yeah, I got, yeah, I got a little bit of time. I could take a little detour, stop for uh, twenty minutes, and stretch my legs. Sure, I'll go to that ball ball of yarn. Yeah. If I'm driving and all of a sudden there's a surprise theme park with roller coasters, <laughs> and I still have time to stop. I'm definitely stopping, but I might not have time. No, I'm definitely stopping. I always try to talk everybody into going on the roller coaster at State Line and uh, between California State, and Nevada. State Line, Nevada, yeah. Nobody uh, ever Desperado. wants. Nobody ever wants to ride the Desperado with me, and I, I, I talk. I've been on it once. I've managed to talk one person into going on the Desperado with me. So I have some bad news. Uh, oh, no. The Desperado is currently totally defunct. Oh, no. Uh, and there are no plans to reopen. No. Well, I'm but, glad I got to ride it before it your, closed. Your level of despair speaks to a like an upgrade to the thesis here, which is in this hypothetical at some point, you're not driving past it. You're, you're driving, driving to, it. to it. Yeah. And now it's the reason you were on the road in the first place. Because there was enough stuff to surprise, delight, entertain, 
to to fascinate. There was enough of that stuff concentrated in one place to make it an attraction in and of itself, a sort of super attraction, a, a theme park in okay. essence, right? Or an amusement park. Or an amusement park, and and I think that that line is blurry and overlapping and you should go listen to episode 101 of this of this series if you want to uh help us try and find that line mm-hmm. um but uh, honestly like at some point getting all of those attractions together is in and of itself an attraction it's can you believe that all of this stuff is right here in Anaheim California it, that it's got a castle and a jungle and an old west fort (laughs) and all of your favorite movies and they have rides based off of them and you can glimpse tomorrow and you can see all of the wonderful tunes down in toontown (laughs) or visit galaxy's edge um this is in and of itself an attraction and it's remarkable that there's so much going on in a theme park because at that level, it stops being like, oh, I should check that out. Like, I have been attracted. I have been drawn in. I'll spend some money. It stops being that and becomes something like globally appealing, something that advertises itself that doesn't need billboards anymore, that just has its own internal draw that is powerful enough to span the world and that's theme parks is attractions at a critical mass to the point where they become a self-sustaining attraction and i think that's what's cool about them and part of what connects them connects them to those primeval roadside balls of yarn uh, they are the logical conclusion of that. Right. Something with as much gravity, as much GDP as it's as as several nations. <laughs> uh, a place that people plan to go to for years. Uh, in the case of Walt Disney World, especially, right? Uh, and so, like, why speak about attractions and theme parks in tandem? Well, theme parks are full of attractions. Theme parks are also attractions. Right. And they're maybe some of the most powerful attractions that we've ever created as a species. Right. You you got so, you went for such a <laughs> such a large scale there. It's easy to uh to forget that part of the original conversation was um that the inside of a theme park is full of attractions. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. like we originally <laughs> defined attractions as um, things inside a theme park that's different from a, a, a ride or that a ride can be an attraction but not all attractions are rides and then so inside Disneyland you can have a um, a show, you can have a nighttime spectacular, you can have a walkthrough, you can have a um, or, or a ride um, and those are all attractions you can even have something that's um, that's just there to be seen like the castle the castle is an attraction on its own. Look at this! Look at this beautiful piece of art that is a castle. Also, guess what? There's an attraction inside the castle, and it's a walkthrough experience where you're like <laughs> doing the story of Sleeping Beauty, right? Right. So the castle, as an attraction, has an attraction within it, which is not a ride but a walkthrough, and 
And the castle as an attraction with an attraction inside of it is inside the attraction that is Disneyland. Not Um, to mention the castle (laughs) serves as the facade for several other attractions because it's like the threshold to Fantasyland. Right. (laughs) It's a nesting doll of attractions within attractions within attractions. Um, And the idea is that each level at each at each level you are attracting people to it you are, have an audience for it you have a um an experience and entertainment that you're offering people at every level um and they are all attractions and none of them are rides because rides and attractions are different <laughs> <laughs> that's true we'll get to rides we will get to rides in the next lesson Right. Uh, for the moment, though, I want to like add one more twist, one more caveat to like what makes an attraction an attraction. I think an attraction needs to be place specific. It needs to be physical in some way, or else it needs to be uh, exclusive. So it can move and be brought to places and be exclusive in that way, in that it's like one thing that moves around. Or it needs to be place specific and belong to a physical space. Okay, so like uh, a traveling museum exhibit can be an attraction. It goes to different museums, but it is still the one thing like the like. King Tut, for example, they bring King Tut and all of his beautiful uh, stuff from his tomb uh, and bring it to different museums and set it up. And that's an attraction now to that museum. Um, Or the museum itself can be an attraction. It's in one place. It's uh, it's specific to to the area what's already there what's already inside and it's a specific experience and that's the attraction yeah i i mean what i'm trying to what i'm trying to avoid is uh an attraction is a movie i mean like a movie can be an attraction if the movie is uh rare or plays rarely um, or perhaps it's a, uh, you know, it's like a replay of a classic film. Uh, or maybe there's something about watching this version of the movie. Maybe there's like an orchestra playing along with it. Um, and for me, those make those things more of an attraction. But like a DVD copy of that movie, the DVD is not an attraction. You know what I mean? Like there, there, <laughs> yeah. there is a difference Um, And I think there's something to be said for why we're like focused on attractions as a distinct art form, because they like take up space and they're like unique. And even if there are copies of them around the world, they have like little different idiosyncrasies based on, you know, the, the cultural needs of the place, like the difference between the Haunted Mansion and the Phantom Manor. Uh, and Mystic Manor. Um, Not to mention the differences between the two haunted mansions on both coasts of the United States. And those are fun to inspect. So just because there are, like, multiple haunted mansions, each haunted mansion 
or haunted mansion type attraction is place specific at least like it this is the haunted mansion uh conversely if you go to like a county fair or some other kind of traveling amusement park there might be a haunted attraction at that uh usually they're really small and pretty cheap um but that's still an attraction i think because it's at least like limited time exclusive and there's that scale and wonder and intrigue that i think elevates it to the level of being an attraction so it's hard to set like concrete boundaries and rules about what is an attraction what is not an attraction but i want to say that like exclusivity is part of the appeal at the very least it's it's sure. that hurry 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 kind of feeling yes come this way step right up once in a lifetime experience see the thing that has never been seen do the thing that has never been done hurry 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 only limited time or only 500 people today right right be one of the ones who did uh and that i think is part of it because as much as there are several several blue man groups nationwide <laughs> and globally the blue men are still something of an oddity and an attraction right a, sure. an experience that you can only get at the places that it is offered and usually in my experience if you want to see the blue man group you can't get tickets tonight because there's a certain amount of exclusivity to that there's only so many people who can be there in that in that theater that night that one time to see it and i think that makes things like broadway an attraction right uh right. the shows may play elsewhere but if you're on broadway broadway is an attraction and each of the shows on it are attractions because there's something about the place that makes it exclusive that makes it the biggest and the brightest and the best sure i agree so I, I hope that expands the definition a little bit. We're not just talking about balls of yarn here. It's things <laughs> that draw people together. And I think almost universally, what makes an attraction an attraction is that it is it, in some way art or artfully presented. And I think that is kind of core to the experience as well. There's, like, creativity behind it for, right. for me to feel like it's an attraction. Yeah. However however basic the creativity may seem, just a a, night, a, a sign or, <laughs> a, a, oh, look, uh, it's a billboard. You know, that's, that, that's basic. But there's creativity involved in, in marketing and exploring, like, how to get people to come in to see your attraction. Yeah. Um, it's not There's just a, a, sh a certain uh, showmanship. Uh, sure. Yeah, if the certain... world's largest ball of yarn is sitting in the middle of the desert with no signage or no showmanship or anything to get you to go to it, how would you even know it was there? If the world's lar largest ball falls in a desert and no one's around to see it, <laughs> does it make a sound? Um, <laughs> yes, it does. And it's, I think, like a really soft thump. Yeah, probably, like boom. probably rather pleasant, really. Yeah. <laughs> like a warm hug, but big and and loud. Um, 
and probably if it's as big as they say, uh, just kind of devastating to the local landscape. All right. So anyways, <laughs> I think we've covered attractions pretty well. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted to say about attractions? I guess what I what I want to, you know, kind of get to with the the last segment of this lesson uh, is why attractions um, specifically for you, for me, you know, for us, for this podcast, for our audience, like why are attractions worth our analysis? Like we have talked about some rather silly hypotheticals. Um, we have talked about some attractions that, uh, maybe do not interest everybody. Um, we've also talked about some ideas of things being simultaneously attractions and not like, why is this conversation so interesting to us? Why do we keep having it on this podcast month after month, year after year? What, what makes this the art form that we want to talk about? Why do we talk about attractions? We have talked about, I would go so far as to say that attractions may, the word attractions may be like one of the most important parts of the logline of our show. Um, and that we talk about some kind of attraction in, I'd say, every episode of this show. Because um, we don't always talk about rides and we don't always talk about like entire theme parks, but we're always talking about something that is there, that is telling us a story, that is pulling us in, that's entertaining us, that's giving us something to see and experience. Um, and even even if we're just talking about the, the general concept of, say, immersive theater or some of our other more general episodes, um, we're still talking about something that is put together by somebody to draw us in and entertain us and yeah, take our money. Um, and that's like the core of what a theme park is about. It's the core of what those happy places is about um, is that we're being entertained by and like, we are asking ourselves to analyze the things that are entertaining us. Um, and that's like the thesis of this show. That's why we're here is to talk about like why and what stories are we learning and what um, what can we analyze about not just the attraction and like how it works, but like why does thing why do things like this speak to us as humans? And I think that's really important and like, the reason why we wanted to make this show in the first place, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I think you and I realize from our time growing up around some of these premier global attractions, not the least of which was the Disneyland Resort, right? Sure. From our perspective, we kind of intrinsically understood that these places have their own cultural impact. And I think that's really like obvious, like Disneyland has a cultural impact because it's a theme park that kind of began theme parks uh, for lack of a better originating point. 
Um, but also it like has its own culture and like many cultures within that culture. Um, it has its own role as a community space. It has its own role as a global destination. It has its own role as an entertainment capital. Uh, it has its own role as a corporate retreat. I, I mean, like, th this is a place that serves dozens, if not hundreds of purposes on a daily basis for people. Some of which are very personal, like the anecdote that I told in episode one of this very podcast where I saw somebody make a wish at Snow White's wishing well and truly, even though nobody was with them taking a picture or anything, like truly wished. Like you can have that level of personal experience or it can be a place where you remember some kind of like grand memory that like is about you and your family on this big trip. Or it can be someplace that you got dragged into for work or someplace that you worked for years. And all of these things matter and are valid. It kind of reminds me of Notre Dame Cathedral. Um, not as drastic in the differences of the purposes that it can serve. It's not like people are going there to worship and also to spend money and tour. Not exactly anyways. But... There are layers and levels of culture and cultu cultural interaction that are happening. And so from your ball of yarn to your Disneyland resort, there's a lineage and there's also a connection. And there's also a, a, a cultural importance. These are places that contain some of the greatest works of art, not just of the last century, but the current one. And I think to say that they are just places where amusements exist is to erase that and to not give them the literature treatment, literature being the art form that is most historically overthought, <laughs> To not give them the literature treatment is a disservice to what they represent. And what they represent is decades of arts and uh, artists and artisans and technicians creating experiences and serving various purposes for countless people for decades. And I think that attractions mean something. And I think that attractions being condensed and combined and brought together into these critical mass theme park areas means something um, about us as a society, uh, as people, as, as, a, as a species. And I think we've also explored in this, in this podcast that because attractions are collective in their experiences and because they last for decades and because they are part of the places that they inhabit, we've also found out that attractions can have long histories and that those histories are not always the most positive things. 
I'm thinking of like, for example, the Jungle Cruise and its harmful depictions of native peoples. And I'm thinking about how the Jungle Cruise eventually had to change to lessen the negative impacts of itself, despite still being a global thing that people would come from around the world to experience. I'm thinking of the upcoming retheming of Splash Mountain and how that is so overdue and how its retheming will be so meaningful for so many people. And I'm saying to myself, there's no way that that level of technical skill first to retheme the thing and, and turn it into something new, artistic scale to make those choices, and then also that level of like just adaptation and 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 wherewithal and and impact that's that's going to have and i, I how, how could you not treat that like a, a literary moment <laughs> a, a movement in literature a, a, a thing that means things enough to people that they said wait a minute we need to change this to save it we need to keep its bones and put something new on it so that it can continue to exist and stop hurting people in the ways that it does because not be not from physical pain but from like cultural pain that's incredible that like that exists and is just taken for granted this is a conversation that is worth having every week on wherever podcasts are sold <laughs> Uh, this is a conversation worth having, and I think that Those Happy Places as a podcast exists to make good on that concept, that attractions are specific or limited, but also huge draws and meaningful. And if we can analyze them the way that we would, read them the way that we would a book, and find the meaning between the lines, we can have better attractions in the future and better understand the attractions we have now. And I think that's what it's all about. I mean, that's why we read books in the first place. To understand stories of people of the past, to have better stories in the future, and to better understand the stories around us right now. And if that's not a thesis statement for a podcast, I don't know what is. <laughs> Yeah, And so hopefully by kind of breaking down what an attraction is and what it means uh, clarifies that purpose a little bit for, for you, for me, for us, but also for the audience. Well, buddy, you've uh, I think you've nailed it. Uh, you've left me without uh, anything else to say on the subject, which means I think we have uh, a, I think we've defined attractions appropriately uh, to end the lesson. Uh, so if we're going to end this lesson and prepare for next week, it's time to assign some homework. Homework? Some uh, homework. For, for this online <laughs> class that you attend by listening to podcast episodes? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the homework is we want to hear from you, the listener, about this episode. What do you think about attractions? Did we find the right definition for it? Did we miss something that you think is important to think about? Did we overthink and overprepare for this lesson? Are we <laughs> overthinking what attractions are? Come tell us. And you can submit your assignments on the internet. 
Oh, the internet. Yes. Make sure that you make one discussion question and that you <laughs> respond to two discussion questions <laughs> on our Twitters. Uh, you can find the show's Twitter at Happy Places Pod. And you can find me on Twitter at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok at Alice White THP for those happy places. And Alice, if people really like what we do and they would like to uh, support uh, our uh, impromptu uh, university level course on theme parks uh, with money... Uh, <laughs> since we don't charge tuition for people to access this on their RSS feeds wherever podcasts are found, um, how could they do that? Well, they can do that very easily by going to patreon.com slash those happy places. Uh, when you're over there, you can find a couple different tier levels of support. At every level, you will have access to our bonus episodes, uh, some blog posts, uh, some other fun content. Um, yeah, if you want to listen to us talk about everything from theme parks to Star Wars and beyond on some of our bonus episodes, you can find those on, once again, that site is patreon.com slash those happy places. Now, Alice, I think I'm going to add some music to this episode. And where would you have gotten such music? Well, some of the music is Those Happy Places Classics, uh, and all of that music comes to us from Kevin McLeod. His website is incompetech.com. The tracks are licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 Attributions license. All of the information about that is in the show notes. Some of the other music for this miniseries, including the theme song, Waitin' on a Train, uh, is by Halizna CC0, uh, which stands for Creative Commons Zero, which is a, a cool name. That means that I don't actually need to credit this person to use their music on the show. That's how Creative Commons Zero licenses work, but we do anyways because we're cool. All of the track names and a link to this person's uh, free music archive page can be found in the show notes as well. Uh, and speaking of music, uh, I do believe I hear a- another song ramping up in the background. Is that Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers featuring Phil Alvin? It sure is. A wonderful song by wonderful folk. If you want to listen to more music from the Feet Warmers, you can find them at thecaliforniafeetwarmers.com Alice, thank you so much for doing this miniseries with me. I think we're all learning a lot. I, yes, we're definitely learning a lot. I really, uh, I thought you were very insightful and thorough today. And uh, I really appreciate what you do for this podcast and for the world of theme park journalism. Alice, I wouldn't do any of it if it weren't for you being right here with me, helping me break these ideas down and providing your own just thoroughly fascinating commentary that continues to stun me about what you are able to see within attractions that uh, without your perspective we would be nothing uh, so we make this thing happen together and I'm just so glad that we do uh, yes. so thank we'll you. see you in the next one thank you buddy and class dismissed <laughs>